Welcome to the Productivity Podcast. We have a returning guest, Stuart Cross, who's the owner of Morgan Cross Consulting, who helps companies with growth, among other things. And we're going to have a timely a timely conversation today, Stuart, about business strategy post-COVID. But first of all, welcome back. Yeah, thanks, Simon. Great to be here. It's a big topic, big issue. It's a massive topic, and I'm sure we won't get to cover it all today, but we'll we'll do our best to get into a bit of detail on some important things that hopefully our listeners value. So it, it's been a while since you came on. I think you were on last time before lockdown, so uh, it, it's a while in itself. That feels like a million a million years ago. Yeah. Wow. So so what have you been up to in your world? How how are things working in Morgan Cross? Any anything you want to tell us about, or you can talk about? No, I think I think for me is um, interestingly enough, particularly over the last kind of couple of years, I think strategy has become more important to my clients, kind of having that kind of um, focus, knowing where they're trying to get to, I think has become even more important because success is increasingly harder earned. So that's that's been the kind of key thing for me. I kind of I, it's been more pure strategy work that I've been working on with my clients, which is. Is, which is what I love, so that so that's great. Excellent. So do, doing something you love, we have quite a few people on that do that, and it makes a massive difference to your to your life, doesn't it? And your working week, if it's something you're actually invested in, and, and you see the value of what you're delivering. I, th- I think you know, I kind of I run my own business, and so if I don't love what I do, I need to have a word with the boss. Yeah, you got a choice as well. Yeah, a choice. Yeah. Any anyway, uh, business strategy. Then, so you just mentioned there, it's kind of taking up pretty much all of your time with all your clients. I know you've done a couple of sessions with us, which have been really helpful. Have you seen any swing if you kind of split split your work into, you, we use COVID as the barometer, pre mm-hmm. and post COVID, but clearly post COVID we've had, we've had a global recession, um, we've had war, we've had pay, pay inflation. Brexit's kind of merged, grayed in with all of that. I'm not sure if you can almost take that out because uh, personally, I don't know which bits are Brexit related or not in, in anything that's happened, if I'm honest, because of just the timing of it. But have people started to think differently about their strategy? If we use kind of the pre and post COVID as the barometer, are they thinking about things more long term or short term? Are there any are there any trends at a top line that you, you've seen? Yeah, I, th- I think there are some, there are definitely some changes um, to how companies go about thinking about strategy, but also implementing strategy kind of um probably it's probably there's a, there was an article i read in the hbr harvard business review once which must be over 15 years ago it was with jeff bezos uh, uh, and he was talking about amazon and he said we're fixed on the vision but we're flexible on the journey and and i think that in the post-pandemic world especially what's happened since that idea of being fixed on the vision, flexible on the journey, has kind of been magnified for um, for most organisations and for most business leaders. So, so the idea that you that you've got a plan that you're going to stick to is kind of is kind of gone. But being able to react to events as they happen, but keeping on your mission, has become far far more important. That's why I see I can and and and, and I've kind of thinking about the kind of conversation we're going to have, I don't know if it's helpful. I, th- I think there are kind of three areas, Simon, that that come into play that that my kind of uh, clients are thinking about. Would it be, it be helpful if I just kind of 
go through them and then you can ask me kind of where you think might be uh, might be interesting. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. The three things. What one is is the importance of winning today, but also winning tomorrow. And um, I spoke. I spoke. I was speaking to a client this morning, who who said is the last three years all I've been thinking about is supply chain. I you know I haven't thought about sales and marketing. It's just been so focused on getting through to the end of the day, end of the week. And getting products uh, kind of to the customers. Um, that's all he's been able to do. But I just don't think that's good enough for organizations now. You have to not only win today, but you need to, to, to win tomorrow. And I think some companies may have slightly lost sight of tomorrow. I had, I had another client who said that he liked to think about um, his balance of time, 80% of delivering this year's numbers. 15% thinking about how he's going to deliver next year's numbers and 5% beyond that. I don't know whether that's the right balance. Personally, I'd probably be more like 70, 20, 10. But having that balance of how we're going to win today, win tomorrow, I think it becomes really important because you can't take anything for granted. Yeah, so that's, go on. I'll, ask, I'll ask you a few questions then on that, if that's okay. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I like that because it, it kind of keeps you in the moment but also has that eye on what's next i i agree in terms of that that split feels feels a little bit tight and i mean back to our our corporate world without mentioning any names there was all, always lots of focus on the future that three five-year plan mm-hmm. and, and i suppose the underlying frustration across many departments in the in in the in that business and others i'm, I'm sure those listening will feel it is that plan almost never happens so somebody yeah. leaves, it gets reinvented. Somebody leaves, it gets reinvented. We get two, we get two years in, and it's it's now the three year plan based on the two years. So, yeah, I, I like that kind of. Um, I suppose if it was tech development, it'd be agile approach. Yeah, I know, I know, I'm going to build a till system. Let's say, I'm not quite sure how I'm going to get there and what it looks like, but I know I'm going to build a till system. Yeah, I think I think kind of I think that plays to to my second point. Simon, kind of what you're just saying, and that is that um, adaptability beats forecasting. So, so as you say, the kind of plan never happens, and being able to adapt to events, I think, has been become critical. It goes back to that Jeff Bezos, you know, fixed on the vision, flexible on the journey. So, um, did my clients really change fundamentally change their strategy as a result of the pandemic? No. But did they change their tactics? Did they change their initiatives? Absolutely. So kind of one client that I had um, was struggling in the UK, but their Middle East business was starting to pick up, and they've absolutely doubled down on, on the Middle East and put the kind of UK, not on ice, but it's kind of secondary in terms of investment. They shifted their resource, their focus, to where they could win. Um, so that wasn't in the plan but it's what they did for kind of 12, 18 months. Um, another client kind of um, uh, in, in the homewares uh, area, they were, um, they were winning with their trade customers. And so they put so much more effort into trade because they weren't thinking about the, they had lots of plans for their kind of um, domestic customers, but they're really, they were winning where the, where the trade was. And so they kind of they pushed harder on that. So so all of this it's messier, 
but it generates results faster. And it is that idea of agile, those principles coming into how companies can actually implement strategy. And again, a, a wise man once told me there's two types of forecast, lucky and wrong, which kind of <laughs> stuck stuck with me. If if forecasting was that good, we'd all be forecasting lottery numbers, wouldn't we? But again, it, it some of that, I suppose the essence of some of that you've described there is there's some entrepreneurship, so seizing the opportunity. Yeah. I suppose also prioritization, so understanding where the opportunity is, where you can maybe monetize that or grow market share or brand awareness and seizing that, but without forgetting where I suppose the core is. So for that business, yes, you you um, you turn the temperature down slightly on your, maybe your home country, the UK, but you've not forgotten about it because there's a danger, I suppose, you go all in in uh, the Far East yeah. and then you absolutely um, give your competitors the opportunity to come in and, and take what's your bread and butter because you've just put all your chips in one basket. So I suppose there's a balance within that, isn't there? The, of, course, of course there is, yes, absolutely. But I think the interesting thing is that certainly for slightly kind of larger businesses, kind of, kind of mid-sized and upwards, that there has to be some level of organizational change to it to 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 get those changes in behaviors and to be able to there has to be kind of as what well, you talked about entrepreneurialism in the organization but there also has to be greater empowerment so you're asking kind of people um you can't plan everything centrally and you can't do everything top down you have to find a new way of of working that allows that entrepreneurialism to take place, that ownership and drive to take place at the front line, but to find a way, as you say, of balancing the different needs of the organisation. And I think that's kind of really interesting. I don't have a, a super answer for it, but I think a lot of my clients have start, started to work out how they can make that, get that ways of working kind of to, to work for them. And that must be an added challenge in there of the whole work from home debate that that kind of rumbles on doesn't it i see i probably like you i get the um emails every day from all the various retail uh, journals and stuff and somebody's forcing people back into the office somebody else is downsizing space because they're not i speak to people on the floor and they've been told they need to go back into the office for three days a week but nobody's policing it so they don't bother mm-hmm. so there, there seems to be a desire to get people together and i i still and I'm, I sound old by saying this. I still still think, certainly in our business and other businesses we work with, when we're face to face, it is far more productive from a, a relationship point of view, from an output point of view, from a just those little glances around the room or those chats outside of the meeting, than doing it on Teams or Zoom or whatever it is. Um, but I, I think this is a debate that's going to rumble on in lots of businesses to fine tune what what works for them, but also what works from a business output point of view yeah no i completely agree i kind of i'd I'd scribble a little note to myself to to, to raise which was managing organizational fatigue is the other side of this because i think i think um leaders are knackered workers are knackered um they have this whole work from home versus work in the office you've got the idea of you know how many organizations are there's people working in shops working in the factory who have to come in, and then you've got these office workers who um, who don't have to come in. So that kind of feels unfair. I, I feel really sorry personally for, for young people just starting out on their career, how they learn 
about their role. They can't do it at the end of a, um, just on a team's call every now and then with someone. You have to learn by kind of being part of, of the team and kind of, you almost watch it. My, my wife was, is a lawyer and she spent the first two years sitting in an office with one of the partners learning what the job was all about. Um, so I, th- I think there's all of that as well, which for companies to be able to sustain the capabilities and um, kind of build the new capabilities, build that sense of teamwork and engagement and ownership to drive all this and, and to deliver the strategy, kind of finding a way to through all this organisational um, uh, difficulties kind of and challenges, I think is is absolutely crucial. I think you're absolutely right. It's, it's critical. So those are, those are the first two points. Then what's your third? The, the 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 third is I kind of I wrote a book over ten years ago, and one of the chapters was called "Nothing Fails Like Success," um, and and that's the idea that that companies can when they start off they're on a mission. It's for those that succeed, they're able to kind of implement that mission, grow, and thrive, and then they sort of reach a plateau where they're kind of succeeding, and that's the kind of um, I call it the cultural danger zone, where do they just stick with what they're doing or do they change? And if they're not willing to change and think about their next success curve, the chances are they're going to go into decline. So if you think about, you know, even, you know, most companies don't fail because they're bad at what they do. They fail because they're good at what they do, but they hold on to that too long as the markets change and technology changes and, and uh, customers change. So, um, you know, even take Kodak, for example, it, it came, it was an early pioneer of digital photography, but it got stuck with its its um, commitment to kind of the old technology, which meant it kind of had to file for bankruptcy at one point. And to me, what COVID and um, uh the pandemic and and the war and everything that's happening with the economy is that nothing fails like success is being accelerated. So, so the world's coming at organisations and business leaders faster and faster. And so you can't take for granted what's winning now. You have to think about kind of how you're going to win tomorrow and be willing to change and disrupt your own business as much as changing and disrupting kind of other businesses. So, we see the we see the um, travails of John Lewis partnership, and how you know even before the pandemic, department stores were on a downward curve, but John Lewis seemed relatively strong. Um, since then, kind of John Lewis has really struggled. How how does it compete in the digital world? And it's having to completely change it, its business model. The the danger for John Lewis is it's not doing enough, and it's doing it too late. And, and I think that is the other lesson for organisations is this fact that nothing fails like success is, is going to be accelerated or has accelerated. And so we need to think kind of more quickly. And it goes back to that whole win today, win tomorrow. We need to keep thinking about tomorrow and how we're going to, to win then, not just today. Yeah, it's made me think of a couple of things. Your, your Kodak story reminded me of kind of the blockbuster one. Yeah. Uh, I, and I might be making this up, but I think it's true, so I'll, I'll go with it. Um, the guys who founded Netflix, I'm sure, had a conversation with Blockbuster in the early days. And the Blockbuster guys, you know, we, we've got the market, 
um, we might do postal, etc. It's never going to be anything that's that's more. There's always a physical product, and you know, look where Netflix are now, and look where um, Blockbuster is or, is or isn't now. So it goes to show that kind of, like you say, what what's happening today doesn't necessarily mean it's relevant tomorrow. It's, 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 that's why I call it the cultural danger zone, Simon. You get there's a there's a danger that you get that level of arrogance in the organisation that you think you're not needed, and so kind of Blockbuster can dismiss the guys from Netflix. I remember I was, must have been about two thousand and five, two thousand and six. I was in, I was in the UK head office of Nokia, and I was talking to some of the guys there, and I, it was just after the iPhone had been launched. Yeah, and their view was that it was only one product, and so it wouldn't impact on their business too much because they had a fifty percent share of the smartphone market as it was as it was at that point. Within five years. Their fifty percent market share had collapsed to don't know two or three percent market share. Uh, yeah, I'm sure the Nokia ads probably still got twenty five percent charge about fifteen years later. But yeah, it's it, it's interesting, isn't it? And the that whole John Lewis debate, without I suppose going too deep into it, I, part of me wonders how much of their ownership structure helps or hinders with that. Yeah, uh, I know. I know. There's been some stuff in the press about potentially moving away from from that partnership model, which I think will be very, very difficult. Uh, and having having worked with them and and some of the team at Waitrose, there's some massive strengths in it. Uh, they just need to find the right balance to keep it relevant. And I think a great place to look is next. Um, you know, they bought Paper Chase, I think, didn't they? They've got a, a sock company. They do some of the Gap. Yeah, and they do a really good job online. They do a really good job of merging that into the space they've got in store. Um, like him or loathing, Mike Ashley's kept a lot of people in jobs by buying up these retailers. And again, he's starting to morph some of that into Sports Direct and Flannels. Mm-hmm. So there's there's a new generation of it. I wouldn't necessarily call it a department store anymore. It It's a different experience. So it can it can win. I think they've, they've got to find a way to make it win we yeah. their ownership structure. It's almost, it's not really about competitive strategy. It's almost like a war of business models. Yeah. And it's a question of has the John Lewis business model had its day? Can you win with that business model? Um, I'm sure there'll be some strong advocates for and, for and against. Um, yeah. Dif- difficult one. The, the one thing that's for sure is time's going to tell, isn't it? And whether that's in the short term or the long term, we'll, we'll see. They've been around for long enough, hopefully, to survive. Um, oh, I really hope they do. I mean, you know, the kind of brand and and the experience is, is can be can be great at John Lewis, but it's it's about staying relevant, isn't it? And as you say, does their structure help them or hinder them in staying relevant? Yeah, yeah, they're certainly getting a lot of press about it at the, the moment. And and the other thing within that cultural danger zone was recruitment. So it, it's a bit of an employee ease market at the moment. I think there's more jobs than people and certainly those things like housekeeping in hotels, you know, whether mm-hmm. it's a symptom of Brexit uh, and that was masked by COVID, yeah, people are really struggling to get those jobs filled. Therefore, you know, you probably go to a hotel, whether it be a budget one or a high-end one, you probably don't get your room cleaned every day unless you ask. In some of the more budget ones, you may even have to pay for that now. So that that to me is a good example of where the business model's changed in line with with the service that can be provided. So we haven't got enough people to provide this, so our mm-hmm. options are do less of it, charge for it, and people are locked out by default. So it kind of 
reduces your workload and then think of ways to automate so you know there's, there's loads of stuff that can help reduce that process um but i, I wonder in some of these cultural danger zones whether it, it is that the new people that have come into that business at certain levels are seen as naysayers or um maybe even negative at times because institutionally in those businesses we've always done it this way we'll always carry on this way the figures tell the story that that's the right way to do it yeah but the kind of it, it's that the kind of world is changing so 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 being able to do kind of the challenge for for leaders now is to be able to find a way to especially for these older established companies is to is to take the kind of dna of that organization and make it relevant for the for the for the new world and so it, they have to find a way to engage the organization because they're going to have to leave some things behind and they're going to have to create some new things. Every business has to do that. And, and so the challenge for leaders is, is huge. And that's why I talked about organizational fatigue. The, you know, if I, if I think about a lot of my CEO clients, the, the COVID, the pandemic, the year one was really frightening, but it was also invigorating for them. They kind of they they were working so hard, but in so intensely, their level of teamwork with their teams was, uh, you know, they were talking every day. It was on teams, but they were talking every day about really important things. So they found that invigorating. But over time, two three years down the line, they're absolutely knackered. And so I I I've, but there's a the challenge continues for them. And so how, how do leaders is is another? It's not really a strategy question. But how do leaders kind of keep themselves kind of fit and able to um, to lead their organisations through all this kind of maelstrom of, of, of activity and demands? Yeah, I think it's a really good question. I wrote a couple of things down there while you were talking. And it, it's probably a summary of, I'd say, 99% of organisations we're working with, forget the sector, um, are at level of change. So the change that those businesses are going on, whether that be people, organizational design, process, branding, marketing, product, making it stick. Because mm-hmm. I think the big the big thing we're seeing is there's that much change coming down that operationally lots of it doesn't stick. And the foundations of the first chain of the second change are, are laid on the foundations of the first change. Therefore, change one doesn't stick and we've already pretty much given you change two both of them then become a bit flaky and in those early days of lockdown one of the things that was was really good to see was the level of bureaucracy and um i suppose rigor rigor is really the wrong word but um of slowing down of things so organizations that had a six-month plan a two-year plan to do something did it in three days all of a sudden because the platform was burning and again, I, I'm seeing some of that creep back in now of the cautiousness of whether it be IT or procuring equipment, whatever it might be, that, that just wasn't there because there was the, you know, to keep surviving, to keep going, we've got to get this done in this time frame. Otherwise, we can't take an online payment. We can't close the shop but open a hatch to, to, to deliver parcels, whatever it might have been. And I, I think there's a couple of dynamics in my mind um, along with all the other things that we've talked about that that are really playing into that fatigue. Therefore, you know, the priority of the strategy or the execution of the strategy isn't on a solid foundation. No, but I think so kind of 
a couple of things there. One is is it you know we, we talked earlier that the kind of that agility is critical to success, and so organisations have to continue to think in a kind of agile kind of way rather than the 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 older type of planning kind of way, and that that's a job for the leader. But equally. A st- a strategy only works if if it's resourced effectively. So you can't do everything. So you so there has to be some way of kind of making sure the resources are given, put in the right area, um, to, so that you can actually deliver. And I think where where the clients kind of talked about the one that my client who kind of succeeded in the Middle East, they actually took out marketing spend, they took out capital spend from their UK budget and put it into Middle East. You can't just kind of keep everything the same if you're working in that agile way. You also have to have a way of moving resources uh, from one area to the next um, to be able to make it work as well. So three key areas then um, that you've talked about. So importance of winning today and winning tomorrow, adaptability beats forecasting, and nothing fails like success, which leads you into that cultural danger zone. And I think we've we've pulled out some bits. I'm I'm sure there's much more we, we could go at if we had the time, but we'll pause there for this one. Stuart, if people want to continue this conversation, have a, have a different type of conversation with you, where's the best place for them to find you? Well, you can find me at uh, morgancross.co.uk. I'm there and I'm on Twitter at, at Stuart Cross. And I always answer polite, <laughs> polite uh, notifications right. and messages. Excellent. Always great to catch up. Really yeah. appreciate your time for coming on and we'll speak soon. Great to be here. Thanks, Simon.